So when you need to find an honest anchor for your soul and your heart, I think you're hard-pressed to find anything better than Psalms. Yes, that's where we'll be this morning. That's the lead-in. Probably saw that coming. Um, So they've been called the Hymn Book of Israel, uh, and that carries over to us as Christians. They're our hymn book, too. So I love that they speak from such a place of, of a deep and a very raw honesty before God. And the full range of human emotions are there. Everything is there. And there's this tremendous freedom to engage with the Lord uh, in all of those emotions, all those places we find ourselves. So the Lord invites us through the Psalms to engage with them with just the depths of our soul, no matter where we find ourselves, right? It's not, you've got to be in a good place to, to meet with the Lord. Uh, if that were true, we would never meet with the Lord, or rarely ever. So I find in the Psalms there's this incredible freedom and this amazing invitation by God. Uh, the best summation I can come up with the Psalms is it's bringing all of who we are to all of who God is. The Psalms just embody what just the essence of true worship looks like. Uh, there's many things I love about them. I'm going I'm to just briefly talk about that, just to orient us a bit. There's a beauty and a brilliance to the Psalms. They're communal. Obviously, they're things we pray together every Sunday, even though they speak from one person's intimate experience with the Lord. So the voice of that one psalmist is one that we can identify with, we can speak with, we can pray alongside. So the Psalms are both personal and communal. So we can make them our own and they can live in our hearts a certain way, but we can also come around them together. So I think it's marvelous. I love that part of the Psalms. Another thing that is fantastic, there's a psalm for every season of life. Every season of life. There are laments. In fact, that's the most common type of psalm, which probably should tip us off to Jesus saying, you know, in your life you will have troubles. Laments. There's lament psalms. There are hymns of praise. That's this morning, the afternoon. Mm. Uh, There's psalms of thanksgiving, and there's all points in between. There's a psalm for every season of life. And how deeply I love that. They're a reminder that we're not alone in what we experience a lifetime. We're not alone. Uh, we all face sorrow. We all face hardship. We all face confusion. We all face celebration. We all face joy. We all uh, encounter some contentment. We encounter anger. All those things. That's just part of living life, uh, honestly. These are all things that come our way. And again, in the Psalms, we bring a lot to God, and he meets us there. And in fact, he encourages us, and he invites us to do that. So, again, it's about bringing all of who we are to all of who God is. Now, I don't know about you guys. Like, personally, I have seasons where I'm just living in the Psalms. I mean, uh, I, I, like, I hunker down, and I kind of camp there at times. Um, but I do find that I'm kind of always in the Psalms to a degree, whether I'm camping there or not. Um, I do think they're a necessity for just a good spiritual diet. It's good to be in the Psalms. Um, the fact that the Psalms are cited more than any other book in the New Testament tells us something. Um, Jesus himself alluded to the Psalms 50 different times throughout the Gospels. That's a pretty strong endorsement, right? So there's my pitch. Inhabit the Psalms. And today we're going to inhabit uh, a Psalm of Praise and a Psalm 8. So we're going to begin there. I'm going to give us some cheats that's okay to get us going. Um, I think that will just help us get traction faster. So here's some, some, some holy cheats if there's such a thing. This song, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Very familiar to us. Uh, it is praising the God of cre- creation, the God of the created world. That's the framework 
uh, that we're working with. The created world, how it serves to, to point us to God, right? How everything we look at that God's created are luminous signs of God's handiwork. That he's literally like imbued the world with his glory. That he's put divine fingerprints and little, little breadcrumbs just all over the place. Uh, both in our created world on the earth, which is really what this psalm's talking about, but also in the entire universe, right? All that God's hands have made, they're like a series of burning bushes that all point us back to him. Everything. So this is what theologians call general revelation, and Jesus gets the special revelation title. So God's creation is meant to stir our hearts. It's meant us to stir us to, to awe and to praise and to gratitude, and that's really what it's supposed to do. So this means, as a Christian, and I'll speak of this more towards the end, attentiveness is really key. In other words, do you notice what God has created? Do you notice it? Do you revel in it? Do you contemplate it like the psalmist does? I will say in my life and every other human being i met, this does not just happen. Um, you may get caught unaware by something breathtaking, but generally... It's something you got to cultivate. There's a habit of attentiveness you have to cultivate to see the created world and go, oh, wow, Lord, that's unbelievable. So give me an example. And this looks different for everybody. So this is just an example, uh, one of, I'm sure, many. One of the things that Abe and I do is we kind of look at the massive variety of, of animals in the animal world. I follow a few certain folks like National Geographic and uh, some other folks on my Instagram account. And so when I find something cool, we show each other and we, we talk about it. So we look at an animal and its unique colors or its weirdness or its strange shape or uh, interesting habits. I mean, the duckbill platypus, that's a freaky animal. It's a mammal that lays eggs, that's got flippers and it's got a duck's bill. And by the way, you probably didn't know this, it has this little poison prong in the back of its back foot. Wacky, right? How does God come up with that? The water bear. Google that sometime crazy, the praying mantis, the worm, the caterpillar that becomes a pupa and then changes its DNA in becoming a butterfly. I mean, it's incredible. So Abe and I, that's something that we just, we kind of revel in. We find it really fascinating to see all these inexhaustible examples of God's creativity. And you just go, and that's just one animal. And you realize there's a whole genus or a whole species of those as well, equally as unique. So that's one of the things we do to cultivate that sense of that attentiveness and that gratitude. You can also look at the universe, right? Space exploration, discoveries in our own galaxy and others. I mean, these are incredible things. So as we contemplate the created world, and I should say worlds, planets, all that stuff around us, that attentiveness, I think that helps us find our place. That's what this psalm is about. So, um, and what I mean by helping us find our place, it gives us a sense of perspective because it makes you feel appropriately small. Uh, not in a bad way, not like I'm a worm, what, what value do I have? Just appropriately small in the presence of this vast universe that's glorious that God created, right? There's a goodness to that. So creation is full of God's glory and we're intended not only to see it, but to respond to it, which is absolutely what happens in the psalm and in other psalms as well. To respond to it. Uh, how? Humility, uh, gratitude, uh, wonder, praise. I mean, that's just, you're going to see that in our psalm today. So for me, I, I just immediately, I, I think, how good of you, Lord, to leave so many signs of yourself in this world to remind us uh, of who you are so that we can praise you, return that praise to you, 
And so that those who don't know you yet might be pointed in that direction and wonder, my goodness, who created all of this fantastic, creative, beautiful, terrifying, not sure what to make of it, world that we live in. So that's where we are. Verse 1. Said it a minute ago. So, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Begins by a direct address to God. O Lord, our Lord. (laughs) We're his people, right? We're the people of the new covenant. This is the old covenant. We're the people of the new covenant. We can still speak in that same way. We belong to him. So this entire address comes from a place of relationship. I know it's very basic, but again, that's the orientation. The fact that it's even possible to have a conversation with the God of the universe that I just described is an incredible thing, right? Something we don't want to forget. The majesty of God's name throughout all the earth. This is specifically praising God for his might, okay? That's what this majesty speaks of. It's talking about a powerful creator, unsurpassed, sovereign Lord over all creation. Whereas all these other ancient Eastern gods, that maybe Baal gets, he's the storm god, and this god's the god over this. God is over, God over everything. His, his name is majestic in all the earth. He's sovereign over everything. And you set your glory above the heavens. Now, this is a little old school. I love this word. Sometimes in the old translations, you'll see firmament. Just a lovely, wonderful word. And what it means is that when you look up at the sky, it looks like a dome, right? Especially in the night sky. That's how the ancients conceived of the abode of God. It's kind of up there, up there above the dome, separate from the earth. So God is, he's other from his creation. He's, God is out there. He's transcendent, right? So this is an opening call to praise the mighty, majestic Lord over creation who sits above the heavens, away from us. That's verse 1, right? And it's actually, that is going to be one of two bookends. You'll notice that's how the psalm closes at the end. Uh, there are two bookends, and we're going to see that again in the final verse. Verse, excuse me. Those are guardrails. So the glory of the might, mighty God of creation. That's the context. That's what we're talking about here. And so we have to go. Well, what's in verses two through eight? What's in the middle there? What is it bookending? What's it trying to highlight? That tells us whatever we find in two through eight is literally framed by the praise of the Almighty God, the mighty Creator God. So let's find out what's in the middle. Okay. Verse 2, I'm going to read to you, and I'm going to just say right, right at the top of my head, it's a confusing verse, <laughs> but I'm going to read it. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Now, in and of itself, uh, that verse isn't confusing, but in the middle of the psalm, I, I don't know. I mean, it just seems to sort of break. It seems out of place. It seems to kind of break the poetic flow. And frankly, there are a lot of creative interpretations for what it means and, and why it's there, but... They're a little uncertain or murky if you press them too hard. Here's the best thing that I can say of what this means. God hears the cries of of the small. God hears the cries of the weak. God sees the vulnerable in this world he created. And that's what those babies and infants are about because they're helpless, right? So their pleas, they reach his ears because he has ordered creation to function that way. He's a God who sees and he hears, okay? So the big idea there is that God works through the small things and he works through the humble things, the people the world overlooks, which is so constant with the gospel. Totally subversive. So this is God overcoming the mighty with the tiny, right? It's David and Goliath, right? Who would ever pit David against Goliath? That's a fool's errand. And yet the conquest of Jericho, 
What kind of battle strategy is that? You want to march around Jericho seven times and blow a bunch of horns? You've got to be kidding me. Or Gideon and his brave 300 men. Or from the New Testament, God using the foolish things to shame the wise things of the world. Or throwing the keys to the car to 12 flawed disciples and hoping they can change the world. That's the idea of two. That's how God fights the wicked, through completely unlikely and, as the world sees it, puny means. That's my best shot at two, (laughs) to be quite honest. But I want to get back to three through eight because the focus shifts back to creation itself. Three and four. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man, what is humankind that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Again, when I look at the heavens, that's that firmament, that dome, that sky, the abode of God, knowing that you made it, knowing that the sun and the moon, the home of the sun and the moon, there's just, I mean, I haven't looked at what Eugene Peterson translates this part, but there's probably some equivalent to wow, just wow. I mean, there's this tremendous sense of awe and wonder that God, the, the sovereign, mighty artist of artists, is the architect of that beautiful and vast azure sky that's punctuated with these pinpoints of light and this moon. The work of your fingers uh, gives a really compelling picture of God as, as an artist, a craftsman, someone who works with his hands, right? Not unlike God the potter, or Jesus being carpenter. But in this case, he's using his hands to craft those, those luminous miracles in the night sky. Have to wonder if when he's writing the psalm, if he or she is outside and looking up and seeing the night sky um, while they're writing these lines. I don't know. In this night sky, the heavens, makes the psalmist feel not only awe and wonder, which I talked about, but humility, but gratitude. What is man that you're mindful of him? What is humankind that you're, you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him? So we're meant to feel our, our, our smallness here. We're meant to feel that in the midst of this vast world under this beautiful sky. Now, we've all had experiences probably like this. They're probably a bit different for each of us. Uh, maybe you've been to the Grand, Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody? I mean, what's it like looking into that thing? It's, it's just sort of hard to, yes, mind-blowing. It's hard to get your arms around it. It's just so vast. Uh, or if you've seen a massive mountain or been to the base of a like Mount Rainier or Pikes Peak or a 14er. I mean, there's something to that. The Great Lakes, they just kind of go on forever. Arches in Utah, middle of the ocean. You know, you look around, you can't see anything for miles. The ocean kind of does it for me in this sense. There's a sense of like, I am small, but the way the psalmist puts it, but, but I'm loved by God. I feel small, but I'm really loved by God. Kind of, hey, who am I, small fry that I am, right? That the mighty creator God would be mindful of me. Literally what it means is that God would remember me, that he would bring my name to mind. He would call upon my name and do it with fondness and love. That he would look after me, uh, that he would care for me just as one person, one little speck in this vast universe. That's what three and four is all about. And I don't know about you, but when I read it, there is a strange and powerful comfort in it. Strange and powerful it's like being held by God, even as this small little creature who he loves a great deal, but in the midst of a really vast space, right? Just a speck. 
5 through 8. And here's where you're going to see the other lectionary readings really feed in thematically. You're probably wondering, why this psalm? Why those lectionary readings? Fair question. Here we go. Yet you made him, humankind, a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the work of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Okay. You get into verse 5. Uh, you made him, you made us, what he's talking about, a little lower than the heavenly beings. I tell you, this, this is a paraphrase of Genesis 1, 26 and 28. Let's make humankind in our image. So we're, we're part of God's creation, but we're also unique in the created world. We're unlike anything God has created. He says we're made a little lower than the heavenly beings. And frankly, some translations say angels and some say God. They're all legit. There's debate on that. Well, they're not all legit, but there's debate on that. But I think the meaning is clear here in that we're not divine, but we're not far off. A little lower than the angels, okay? So we're unique because we're made in God's image, okay? Only humans have that divine imprint, divine spark. Nothing else has. Only human beings. It's inside us. Just men and women, right? All men and women. Which means that we... All human beings reveal the glory of God more than anything else on earth. So think about that. You guys are more of a revelation than any mountain range I can look at. You guys are more of a revelation than any ocean I can see, any canyon I can go look at, any, anything, which will blow your mind. But I'm going to cue C.S. Lewis's famous lines from his sermon called The Weight of Glory, which I used a few weeks ago. There are no ordinary people. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. No ordinary people. So it says God has crowned us with his glory and honor. That's verse 5. Folks, that's the language of royalty. That you put a crown on a king and a queen. So God bestows something uh, to humankind, some of his majesty, some of his reign. And again, this is the psalmist's way of just poetically telling us, you're made in God's image, the imago Dei, right? Kings and queens of creation, right? Crowned with glory and with honor. God's bestowed that to you. Now, when we arrive to six about this talk of dominion, the work of your hands, all things under your feet, all that stuff, uh, we're back in Eden. We're back in those verses Early chapters in Genesis, when men and women both were given that divine charge to subdue, rule, be fruitful, and, and multiply. Bruce Walke has a great little zinger about this entire psalm. He says, you know, Psalm 8 is like Genesis 1, 26 to 28 set to music. Not bad. I, I kind of agree. I think that's really true of this verse. So this is that, that dominion is that divine charge uh, to subdue, rule, be fruitful, multiply. So God made us... He made his vice regents over his creation. We're the pinnacle of creation. All things are under our feet. That's what that long list of animals is about. The sheep, the ox, and the beast. In verses 7 and 8, just kind of reiterating that in the order of creation. Uh, our charge was to rule wisely and consistently, creatively. And we were entrusted with that rule and that reign and that care of God's world. I'm going to say, if you don't feel humbled at this point in the psalm, I, I don't know if you're going to be. But... You should feel kind of the weight of that. But we know that's not where the story, the story goes down a different way. That was the intent. 
we know about the fall. We know what we know what happens with that. And the New Testament, in particular, talks about how sin marked creation itself, how it skewed our relationship, not just to God and each other, but even with creation. That gets skewed. Creation is set off kilter. So we try to cultivate the earth, uh, but we battle the proverbial thorns and thistles. Right where there was harmony and peace, uh, now we get disorder and chaos, and yet. God still calls us, this still holds true, to steward his world, to be vice regents in that. It's just that now we have to contend for it, we have to fight for it uh, in many ways. Ultimately, you know what this points towards. We need someone, capital S, to redeem it, to make us whole, to make the earth whole, to make the relationships whole that are now fractured, uh, to bring peace to our contentious relationships, uh, not just with God and other people, but with terra firma too. And our relationship there. So that's, of course, Jesus coming in and orchestrating the redemption of all things. That's when it enters in the new heaven, the new earth, which brings us to our final bookend. Verse nine. We're going to begin. We're going to end where we started. That's right. In praise of the mighty creator God. So, O Lord, our Lord, again, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So I think the intended result of this psalm is for us, again, to be caught up in wonder, uh, gratefulness. I mean, we we're given the privilege of this dominion and this rule. And I could have spent hours there, and I can do that to you, talking about the connections with Genesis and that original call. And we've been gifted by grace to be made in God's image. So we need to marvel quite a bit at the fact that we exist at all and that we have the breath of life in us. God breathed into us that. None of those things are given. None of that had to happen. None of that needed to happen. But God created the universe and our world and finally us, the very end, and he did it in his image and he put his divine spark in us and he did it as an act of grace and he did it by his good will. So this world, everything in it, is evidence of his grace and his goodness. All this glorious and sometimes terrifying place teeming with life, God's created world, it's precious. It's very precious. It's costly. And it, again, it points us to him. Human life, most of all, most precious and glorious. So who are we that you're mindful of us, Lord? Right? That you care for us. Who are we that you do that? Lord, that you made us a little lower than the heavenly beings. I want to take us back to verse 3. And this is where I'll uh, kind of focus here in closing. Uh, when I consider the heavens and the work of your hands. Let me go back to something I mentioned earlier. I think there's a call here to attentiveness, to like look, pay attention, slow down, wonder, contemplate. Uh, this is how we're going to cultivate gratitude. This is how um, we're going to find a, a sense of humility, a sense of beauty. This doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It's a discipline. Wonder is something you have to cultivate. You got to fight for it. You got to carve out space for it. It begins, I think, with slowing down. It begins with shutting off the screens, which is not easy, and allowing God to anchor us in his good world. Attentiveness. Attentiveness. So there's stuff that we drive by all the time, and we're just completely unaware. So what would it look like to slow down and notice some of those things? Give you some examples. And these are, again, just examples. I bet all of you have examples. What might that look like? Um, you ever notice that the, the light at dusk has a particular quality? 
It's not like any other time of day. It's beautiful. What would it mean to just enjoy that? Drink it in. Say, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you, God, for that reminder that you're giving me uh, of your goodness and that you're pointing me back to you. What would it look like? Uh, maybe it means you savor a good meal and you drink in the majesty of a mountain range, right? Maybe that's what it means. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you. Maybe it means you sit by the ocean. You listen to those waves roll in and out, that eternal lullaby. That's a favorite of mine. I just think, gosh, if there's something that reminds me of eternity and consistency, it's those waves. They just never stop. They always go on, right? Maybe it means uh, you enjoy the silent, stark beauty of the desert. Some people are wired that way. Some people hate it, right? My wife is not one of those people. She's not going to go hang out in the desert and meet God there so much. But there's a silence and a starkness in the desert. You can enjoy and say, thank you, Jesus, for that. Um, if you're a fisherman or fisherwoman, maybe it just means getting your feet in the cool water of a good river. And just saying, thank you, God, for that. Thank you, God, for that. And I know you guys have your own examples. I encourage you to think on those things. What are those things that ground me and connect me to God and his creation? And how can I thank God for those and inhabit those things and choose to, you know, turn my screen off or what have you or carve out space for that God's glory I mean it is everywhere it is everywhere if we have the eyes to see ears to hear hands to receive it here's I think the harder and the messier part of attentiveness because it's easy to talk about it right we don't actually have to go to some exotic location to experience the glory of God's creation um, it's all around us I, I'm I am we are here in the midst of it right now Again, this is more beautiful and glorious, what we have right here, right now, than any sight I could show you. Though those might take our breath away, and we might be kind of nonplussed with each other, like, yeah, well, yeah, right? No ordinary people, Lewis says. So, for me, this is one of these things of, Lord, you want to talk about something that's right in front of my nose all the time, and I'm not sure if I see it, is the glory of human beings made in God's image, whether Christians or not. So, do we look at others or even conceive of ourselves as if we're the most glorious thing in the created order. Not so that we should be, you know, puffed up about it. Um, should bring us, I think, again, humility. But do we have the eyes to see the wonder, the beauty? You know, I'm looking at you guys right now. You're made in God's image. You're more beautiful and more glorious and incredible than any natural wonder in the world or any crazy space photo we might see to go, wow, that's incredible. So that's harder, isn't it? Do you guys see that? I think that's harder to see what's right in front of our nose, but what's most glorious. But I think it's worth cultivating. I think it's worth cultivating this reminder that every person you see is a burning bush revelation of God, in a sense, right? We're still, we're all broken, right? We're all broken, but we still bear the glorious image of God, still. For me, this leads me to a place of, uh, wow, God, I, I never think in these terms. I, I don't think in these terms often enough. Lord, thank you for my life. Um, thank you for my life. Thank you for the gift of my life, that you breathe the breath of life. Thank you that it's a miracle, you know, that I'm al alive at all, that you're alive at all, that we're here. So thank you for that, right? It, it, it brings us to gratitude and to thank him for the lives of the other people around us, right? To thank him for you as well. So that is the drum that I'm banging today is that attentiveness and that gratitude, right? Pay attention, look around. I think God is trying to talk to us all the time.
sometimes you just got to slow down and focus and look around and drink it in. I think, oh, I think he wants to fill up our souls sometimes to the ground.